Our kids, our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. Hopefully the video as well as Gabby's um, you know, reflections were a, a bit of a taste of what a great week it really was. So, man, I, we couldn't be more thankful for the participation in the community, uh, but also just the, the number of volunteers. Wow. I mean, that is, that is pretty amazing uh, to me to consider um, almost, what, what, what did John say, 180 uh, volunteers. That, that is awesome. Uh, so thank you for participating. Thank you for inviting your friends to participate. Uh, if you caught the video there, we're paying close, close attention. Uh, let me just do a little um, PSA, I guess, here, public service announcement. Um, if you can dance, we would really love for you to be a part of our church, all right? Because we need some help in that area, all right? Um, if you can't dance, you'll fit right in, so... All right. <laughs> I don't know how to get into a sermon from that. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. So <laughs> it, it, really was, it really was an awesome week of soccer nights. Uh, if you've been around Redemption Hill uh, for any time at all, hopefully you've heard this phrase that we throw around. We want to be a church that's in the city and for the city. Now, uh, being in the city is a given. That's just our geographic reality. Like it or not, this is where, where we are. Now, we actually love it. We love being in Medford and, and reaching greater Boston um, in our church. But, but th- that last phrase, for the city, is a matter of the heart. You see, uh, some, some people, and I think even some churches, come to the city for what the city can offer them. So rather than being for the city, we kind of take to, seek to, to use the city. Or rather than maybe serving the city, uh, we seek to take from the city. But we want to be a church that is known for loving our neighbors, loving the, the city around us and seeking its good and doing all we can to make a positive difference in our city. Uh, one of the questions we ask is, is this, if Redemption Hill were to cease to exist, number one, would, would anyone notice, that's going to tell us the kind of impact we're having, and then number two, um, would anyone care, would anyone be sad, would anyone say, wow, we are, we are losing so much because we've lost this group of people that make such a positive difference in our city. So we want to be a church that is in the city for the city. That, that happens through serve efforts like soccer nights. It, it happens through uh, efforts like the food and clothing drive that we uh, engaged in through soccer nights. And then we'll, we'll uh, distribute as a church moving forward later this month. But it also happens as each one of us. Right? We just prayed about this. No matter where we are, no matter what our workplace is, we are shining the light of Christ, seeking the good of those around us, being an encouraging presence everywhere we go. And so it's in that spirit that we've introduced this Look Up series. We want to speak to issues each, each and every Sunday as we open the Bible and see its relevance for our lives. We want to be a church that addresses very practical and real needs. Last week, we looked at the topic of, of depression. And if you weren't able to, to catch that sermon, it's online. If you've ever struggled with depression or know some who do, that's, that's a high, high percentage of people, right? And so please check that out online. And then next week, we're going to look at fear and anxiety. What, what does the, the scripture have to say about wrestling with, with 
that which weighs us down and makes us anxious. And then today, we're going to look at the topic of addiction. Addiction is a major issue in our city. The Harvard Chan Public School of Health with the Boston Globe uh, released a survey two months ago that said almost 75% of adults in Massachusetts believe that heroin is a very serious problem in our state. As someone who engages with people in our community, I often meet people who are struggling with substance abuse or meet those who have been affected by it in their friends, with their friends, or with their family. Some of you may remember just at the end of March, Medford at City Hall held a a vigil that was uh, on the topic of overcoming addiction. It is a reality right here in our city. Some people think that almost 1,000, maybe over 1,000 people in the past year have died from opioid uh, overdose, which is a 33% increase over against 2012. I mean, it is a rising concern in our city and one that we need to be understanding and aware of, but also be prepared to offer the help and hope that we find in Christ. And that's the good news that I want to give you this morning, okay? God cares about all people. And he cares about us no matter what stage of life we may find ourselves in. If things are going really good and everything in life is grand, or if we find ourselves down in the pit, addicted to some kind of substance or experience. This morning, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 16. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, it's page 453. And, and what I want to do is I want to, to read Psalm 16, and, and, I, and I, want, I want you to understand, this psalm was not written to address the specific topic of addiction, all right? But I believe there are some really foundational truths and principles that we can take and so what I, how I want to approach the sermon is this. I want to approach the sermon as if I have just read... Psalm 16, with someone who is battling an addiction, and I want to give four pleas, four encouragements to them based on the truths in this psalm, because that's where we're going. But first, let's read Psalm 16 together. Uh, This is what it says. A mictum of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom my soul delights. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. 
in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The key to overcoming any struggle or any addiction is discovering goodness and joy in God. That's the primary thought I want to put out there for you this morning. As we, as we think about Psalm 16, as I might apply to someone who is battling addiction, the key to overcoming that struggle, if you want to use the word struggle, if you're, if you're maybe not yet addicted but you're struggling, the key to overcoming that struggle or addiction is discovering goodness and joy in God. Now, as we begin, I want to, I want to give you two thoughts, okay? Number one, I want you to think about addiction as something that's not out there that, you know, those people deal with, but I want you to consider addiction in here from the perspective of your own life. You see, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with things that can entangle our lives. There is no one in the room, including myself, that is not a potential addict. And so we need to, to think about this as a community. We're all tempted. We're, we're, we all give in to these faulty desires, all right? So that's the first thing. Number two, here's, here's, here's some hope, all right? God, in his grace and mercy, wants to bring us out of that which enslaves us. God wants to set us free. If you're familiar with the life and ministry of Jesus, all right, Jesus, when he began his, his public ministry, he was found in his hometown in the synagogue, and someone handed him the, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophecy of, of Isaiah. And, and Jesus went to Isaiah 61.1, and he said, this, this prophecy is about me. So if you want to know what Jesus is about, just just look at Isaiah 61 and see what it says. This is what it says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus came to set us free. And so let's look at four pleas to someone who is struggling or maybe a loved one who is, has someone who is struggling with addiction. What does, does this psalm have to say to us, okay? Number one, here, here's the first encouragement. Cry out to God for help. Cry out to God for help. Addiction is a nasty and debilitating reality. Ed Welch defines addiction as this. He says addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from truth so that even bad consequences don't bring about change, don't bring repentance, and leading to further estrangement from God. Do you see that? Addiction is bondage. That becomes the center of our life where then our lives begin to revolve around this addiction to the point that we just push off anything that would, would hinder us from that addiction. David Pallison, another biblical counselor, says this, to addict is to bind, devote, or attach yourself to some, someone or something as a servant. It's to be attached to, to be devoted to uh, something. So I know, I know we're prone to think about drug abuse. I know we're prone to think of uh, 
alcoholics and, and the, the, the dependence on alcohol that ravages so many people and so many families. And even increasingly so in our day and age, we, we're prone to think about sex addiction, being addicted to pornography. And we should, we should think about each one of these, and yet we shouldn't disregard more subtle addictions that we often can become addicted to. Gambling is another serious one. What about shopping and compulsive spending? What about food or caffeine? What about the TV, technology, the internet, gaming for kids and sometimes adults just sitting in front of a TV playing games? What about your cell phone? Do you ever get addicted to your cell phone? Yes, we, we joke about that, right? But, but, like, are we dependent on it? Like, can we go more than, like, 20 minutes without checking it? Sports, even exercise. There are so many things in our lives that we can become dependent on. If you want to know if you're addicted to something, just try to kind of step back and stop doing it. And you'll see that the, 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 the pull, the allure that these different experiences or substances can have in our lives. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated or enslaved by anything. So this should be the, 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 the approach of the believer in Christ, that nothing in our lives, not even a cell phone, is going to become something that draws us in and, and dominates our lives. Because listen, God made us to actually rule over and subdue creation. Creation is to be uh, the servant of God and even the servant of people. We are not to be subservient to created things. That's what Genesis 1 tells us, and that's what we see through the story of the Bible. So, so let me ask you again. Do you believe that God can help you out of any struggle or any addiction? This is the place where we must start. One of the most difficult steps for someone that is battling addiction is simply crying out for help. And why is that? It's because addiction wants to isolate us. It tells us that, that everything will be okay, that we can change on our own, that we don't really need, we have everything under control, and yet we know that that is not the reality. So we must seek the one who can help us out of life's most desperate circumstances. Psalm 16 is actually a psalm of trust. Okay, this is what scholars would call it. They would call it a psalm of trust. And what, is, what does trust mean? Trust is an aspect of faith. And I know we often think about faith as like, I believe in Christ, that he was the son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. And, and listen, we can believe that intellectually, and not have true faith, right? True faith is not just signing off on something intellectually, but it is actually resting on it with our lives. It is trusting in that, that, that person, that object. And for us, it is Christ. We are staking our lives upon him and his work. And so we can see that the trust start to come out in these first two verses, all right? Number one, he says at the beginning, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So, so he's saying, look, when I don't know where else to turn, when I need security, when I need 
protection. I'm coming to God. God is my refuge. He is my security. But then verse 2, I love verse 2, one of my favorite verses probably in the Bible. I have about a 1,000, but this is one of them, right? Um, He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I mean, like, like who, really, who really believes that? Like, really, like, trust in it. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says. I ain't got nothing but, but Christ. And that. No, no, like, do we really believe that we have no good apart from God? That everything in our life is a gift of his grace. And if it weren't for his grace at work in us, there would truly be nothing good about Tanner. And I would say there would be nothing truly good about you. All other goods in life find their source of goodness in the highest good, which is God. God is the highest good. He is what makes every good thing good. And if there's something good that's flowing from our lives, and we want there to be much good that is flowing from our lives right on a daily basis, that, that good comes ultimately from God. And so, so how does this relate to addiction? Well, we have to have a measure of humility to say, you know what? In and of myself, I have no good in me. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the resources in my own life to get me through this struggle or addiction. And so it takes, it takes acknowledging uh, who we are and who God is and how much we need his help, how much we need him to be our refuge, to be able to move forward when we are battling some kind of sin or addiction. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, here, here's the second plea, all right? Please, all right, think, think about this, this is a plea. Please recognize the sorrows of empty pursuits. Look back at verse four. What does verse four say? The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. This verse is a verse about worship. We know the Bible tells us that in the very beginning, God created us to know him, to love him, and to worship him, to point to how great he is, to point to how valuable and worthy he is. But we know that that rather than reflecting how great he is and worshiping him with our lives, we, we turn to these other loves these other pursuits, these other pleasures that we think will ultimately satisfy us. So we run to these other gods that are available to us, but what happens is rather than them ultimately satisfying us, we we just find ourselves with, with more sorrow, with more pain, with more hurt. In fact, as we continue to chase these other false gods... It says that our sorrows multiply. What a a graphic picture, that they just pile up on each other and our lives become more and more miserable. Ed Welch, who wrote a really good book on addiction, the subtitle is Banquet in the Grave. Think about that imagery, Banquet in the Grave. He, He says that addictions are ultimately a worship disorder. And this is true of all sin in our life. Okay, again, you may not be addicted to something this morning. You may not think you are. But, but even, even the slightest sin in your life, it, it ultimately is a worship disorder. In that moment, you've pursued something as your higher good than your love for God. 
And so, so how does this work? If, if we understand addiction as a form of, of false worship, idolatry, what are the stages of addiction that we descend into? Okay, I want to give you some, some, some help from Ed Welch's book where he talks about the progressive nature of addiction, okay? Number one, there is the, the early stage of addiction. This is just simply rebellion, okay? And this is how it works, okay? The, the heart desires just one more. Okay, just one more drink, just one more inappropriate material on the internet, just one more piece of cake, whatever, whatever that may be, all right? And, and, and then our body is briefly satisfied. It, I mean, sin is pleasurable. Sin is enjoyable. There's no bones about it. I mean, we, we go after that which is sinful because it does please us and satisfy us even for a brief moment. But then what happens in the later stages of addiction? We find that we become in bondage. Our idolatrous heart wants more and more and more. And then physical desires become unsatisfied and demand more. And so Ed Welch talks about the the thought process of the descent into addiction. And I want to lay that out for you uh, with some commentary on each, okay? Uh, Number one, we can start with this simple thought, okay? This is so innocent, by the way. We just say this, I don't like the way I feel. I'm not pleased in this moment, okay? Even if we're just, maybe, you know, it's kind of classic, I'll just throw out like a, an experience from your teenage years. You're at a party, someone offers you a drink, and you know, you came with the intention of saying no to that, all right, for a variety of reasons, but because there are, are peers around you that are kind of giving you a hard time about it, then all of a sudden you just don't like that peer pressure and you're discontented with that, and so you take the first drink. I mean, this can be something very simple like that. Any, any form of discontentment. I mean, even, even just being uh, bored at home at, at night alone. That can be a form of discontentment where we start to seek after other pleasures. And then so what happens is we say, I want to manage my world my way. And, and think about this. What happens when we say, I want to manage my world my way? We're essentially taking the place of God in our lives, right? Rather than pursuing God's path and God's uh, desire for our life, we say, you know what, God, uh, you're pretty wise, but I'm going to be wiser in this moment. I'm going to make my own decision here. I'm going to go after that which I think is best for me. And so then, number three, we say, I like this. This is what I have been looking for. Sin is subtle and deceptive. I want you to think about this. The very first time that you engage in that that sinful act, no no matter what that is, I was thinking about this week, um, I think Satan begins to laugh over us because he knows that the first bite will often lead to the second and the third and the fourth. And so we, we, we like it, and then we say, I want to keep doing this. These sinful pleasures, though temporary, begin to satisfy us more and more. To where we would then say, uh, this means so much to me, I love it. It doesn't take long for our sinful practices to become, to hold a powerful sway over our lives. To then where we would say this, I want more, I need more. 
I need this. I have to have it in my life. Uh, Addicts often have a false sense of reality. Okay, and what I mean by that is this. Um, They believe they are in control. They believe that they can stop when they want to, but that is simply not the case. As we engage in sin again and again and again and indulge more and more, it, it starts to have a more powerful effect over us to where we begin to then depend on that substance or experience. To then where we would say, as the words of Psalm 16, 4 indicate, you are my God. In other words, I am now serving you. My life is now revolving around you in increasing fashion. These idols can serve as what some people call functional saviors, all right? In other words, if you take this experience from me, then you take my joy, you take my security, you take my comfort. And we were made to find all of these things, comfort and joy and peace and life. We were made to find those things in God, not any created thing. And so when we begin to serve a substance or experience in this kind of way, it leads us to number eight where we would say, this hurts. I have been betrayed. I want it, but I don't really want it. And we begin to, to struggle in the, the throes of addiction. And so this is a nasty picture of how sin, and did you see how, how subtle it started? It just starts with kind of a, a moment of discontentment. And then that descends into a greater uh, dependence and enjoyment of that pursuit. But contrary to this picture, what we have in Psalm 16 is, is David who would say, look, those who are, who are chasing after idols, I'm not going to in, in, indulge in any of their practices. In fact, look at the end of verse 4. He says, I'm not even going to take their name on my lips. I mean, this is how, this is the mindset that we need to have with things that do not honor God. I mean, this this kind of reminds me of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, look, uh, if if you are prone to, to looking at a woman lustfully, then what you need to do is gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. Now, Jesus isn't, isn't being, he doesn't mean literally do that, right? He, he is giving a metaphor, a picture to say, this is how serious you should view your sin. There was actually a young man, I believe in Japan, who had a gaming addiction. And so to try to, to, try to resolve his addiction, he actually amputated uh, one of his hands. I kid you not, it was a story that was, that was in the news about four months ago. And, and I mean, like, the, the problem with that is that's not going to address his addiction because addiction is a matter of the heart. So David is a man who, who is after God's heart. God has his heart to where he would say, Lord, you are my portion. You are my cup. You hold my life. In other words, you are enough for me. You satisfy me. I open my hands and I receive goodness from you. I receive good gifts from you. From you. He says, indeed, I have a, a beautiful inheritance. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So our lives were made to worship God. And in Christ, listen, we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. There is nothing that we lack when we fix our eyes on Christ. So please recognize the empty 
the sorrows that follow these empty pursuits. That would be plea number two. Here's, here's my third plea. Seek stability through community and wise counsel. All right? Seek stability through community and wise counsel. If you, if you talk to someone who's addicted to, to uh, they, would, they would probably characterize their, their life as unstable. Moving from one experience to the next, perhaps um, in, in financial straits because of their addiction. And so there's, there's a lot of instability in their life due to this addiction. And, and so the psalmist says in, in verse 7 and verse 8 um, that we can find stability through community and wise counsel. Okay, actually, let me back up to verse 3 and then we'll get to 7 and 8. Uh, starting in verse 3, he says this, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Okay, let's just stop right there. Okay, so first, we should find what he calls excellent community. All right? This is, this is so important. As we struggle, as we face temptation, we need to be in the presence of other people who get that. We want to be a church in Medford that, that our community would know, man, this isn't a group of perfect people. This isn't a group that has it all together. Um, when I come into their presence, I'm going to be comfortable and be welcomed because they're just people that are struggling with, with, with things in life just like I am. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And we want to, to, to welcome people so that they can find that support system, that, that, that community that will, will take them in and help them along uh, to find a, a better path and hope through Christ. One of the struggles that, that, that addicts often find themselves are, are, are with a, a bad, bad group of friends, right? And so one of the things that, that they must do is uh, remove themselves from that set of friends, flee to a new set of friends that will actually support them in their journey toward recovery. And you may be here today and you may say, hey, you know what, I'm a parent, I'm a loved one, I'm a brother or sister, I'm concerned about someone in my family that, that, that may be uh, on the path toward addiction. What are some maybe signs that I could look for? Okay, and let me just say this, don't put undue pressure or guilt on yourself if you have had someone who's like, man, I should have seen it, I should have known about it. All right, that's, that's outside of your circle of responsibility, okay? We do our best, but we can't control the experiences of those around us. But what can we do? Okay, maybe here's some, just a few warning signs, some, some pointers. Um, look at their, their work, all right? Has, ha, have their work habits changed? Uh, are they late to work? Are they uh, taking extended lunch hours? Are they bringing home less money? What about their relationships? Do they have a new set of friends? Are they more secretive? Are they alone more? Are there obvious changes in their spiritual life? What about uh, their, their sleeping habits or their weight or their physical appearance? All of these things don't necessarily mean that, that someone is addicted, but they can be warning signs that someone is struggling in life and perhaps on a path toward addiction. And so if, if you're struggling today, let me commend to, to open up, not only to cry out to God for help, but to cry out to those around you so that you can find support and care from them. But then also, let me say this, all right? When we are struggling with some, some kind of addiction, what happens is we put a great burden on those people around us. I know you know this, but, but let's not miss this, okay? Um, every action we make will 
necessarily affect someone else, okay? There's, there's not one action that you will ever make in your life that does not affect someone else. You say, like, man, you're just trying to make a point. That sounds really good, but that can't be true, okay? It's true if there are no morally neutral actions. And I would say that, that, that with our lives, we, we are either taking a wise step following God's path or we are taking a step of following folly away from God's path, and there are always consequences to our actions. So, so listen, if, if I want people around me to thrive and flourish, then I need to make good decisions with my life. I need to be a full of Christ so that I can be a positive influence on them, so they can experience positive consequences from the way that I'm living my life, and, and the opposite of that is true. So the community that we surround ourselves with, the, the kind of people that we seek to be in that community, they're all vital for fighting through addiction. That is a huge part of the equation. But then verses 7 and 8 tell us the greatest piece of the solution. We're going to spend a little time focusing on this this morning, and that is this, okay? Set God before you in everything. Set God before you in everything. Look at, look at what it says in verses 7 and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So David says, look, my counsel in life comes from God. I give God praise because he shows me the direction that I should take in life. In the end of verse 7, it almost can be confusing to our kind of modern ears because people are always saying, look, just follow your heart, which means basically do whatever you want to do, which is really step two on the descent to addiction. I want to manage my world my way, okay? David was a man who was after God's own heart. He was filling his mind and his heart with God's truth. So when it says my heart, in the night my heart instructs me, he, he's just being instructed by, by his soul that is saturated with the things of God. We need godly counsel, and then godly counsel comes when we open God's word. And and then let me just say this. We also need people around us who are going to support us in this journey. If if you're struggling, maybe you would say, man, I'm not not there yet, I don't think I'm addicted, but man, I'm struggling with, with some simple practices in my life, which is all of us to one degree or another, right? then then maybe you need to reach out to a a Christian friend who you could just share this with. You don't have to share it with the whole church, all right? But you could just share it with one or two people to say, would you pray for me about this? I'm really struggling. I need need some counsel. I need some encouragement. Maybe you would say, I need some pastoral counseling. That's part of our uh, joy as pastors is to sit down and to help people work through challenges and struggles in life. And then maybe some of you would even say, I need some professional counseling. I know that the, the, the time and the, and the experiences maybe that, that even we, we have here at Redemption Hill as pastors would outstrip my current needs, and I need to pursue some professional counseling. We would love to help you find that if that is you this morning. So we, we seek this godly counsel, and then I love verse 8. I've been thinking about verse 8 more than any other verse this week in this psalm. He says this, I have set the Lord always before me. I want you to just picture that, all right? I set the Lord always before me. No matter what you're doing, eating a meal with friends, I set the Lord before me. I'm on my commute to work. I'm about to go into a hectic day. I set the Lord before me. 
God before us is how we are made to live our lives. It's this Latin phrase that, 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 that the church has loved over the centuries that is quorum Deo, before the face of God. This is how we are to live our lives in all things. We set God before us. God is, is, is the one that is, that is protecting us and leading us, and he is the one that we are living for. So if you want to win the battle in your struggle, in your addiction, set the Lord before you. Win the battle of your mind by sitting, setting the Lord before you, okay? All, all of our struggle with sin is a, is a battle for our thoughts. We, we think that something will please us. We think something will, 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 will fulfill us. And so we, we get allured and enticed by, by that in our thought life. And so what we have to do is, in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we have to take take uh, captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So what we want to do is think like Jesus thinks. We want his mind to influence how we are thinking about all things in life. But not only that, we, we win the battle for our desires when we set the Lord before us. I want you to think about this. It's, it's really wise for us to set up boundaries in our lives, right? So, so if you struggle with alcohol, okay, then it's probably not wise to go out late with friends to the bar, right? That's, that's pretty much common sense, okay, but it, it, you'd be surprised at, at how, how unsmart we can be, right? All right, if, if, if you struggle with, with an addiction to pornography, then what you need to do is set up boundaries. Get some, get some filtering software that can track the sites that you visit so that, that a friend can have access to that and help hold you accountable and encourage you. If you struggle with looking at your phone incessantly, like set a time where you're just gonna make, man, when I get home, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even check my phone from six to 9.30, whatever the case may be, and just so that you can, you can set some appropriate boundaries in your life. But, but listen to this. Even those boundaries, as wise as they may be, those boundaries don't necessarily cut to our heart. What we need is a greater desire for God to overcome that which enslaves us. This is what uh, Thomas Chalmers talked about when he, when he spoke of the expulsive power of a new affection, all right? Listen, listen to this. This is a 19th century uh, pastor in Scotland who said this. This is so good, all right? Listen to this. I'm going to read it slow. He says this. There is not one personal transformation in which the heart is left without an object of ultimate beauty and joy, all right? So, so listen, if, if we're seeking change in life, then what we want to do is we want to we go after that which is ultimately beautiful and ultimately satisfying, all right? Um, so, so, so what we do is this. He says that the heart's desire for one particular object can be conquered, but its desire to have some object is unconquerable. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Do you, follow, do you follow Chalmers here? What he's saying is God has wired us with desires that long to be satisfied. 
He has made us to, 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 to go after that which is beautiful and true and good. And so our heart is always going to long after these things. We're always going to want that which is, 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 is beautiful and satisfying. And so what he says is that, that because that's the case, what we need to do is to dispossess our hearts of, of an old desire, an old affection that is not honoring to God. What we need to do is replace it with a desire and affection for that which is greater, and that which is greater is God himself. So one of the, the cleanest and clearest statements that, that, that I can remember just as, as a college student, um, trying to, to, to not only soak up for myself, but also uh, give away to the, to the students that I was, you know, kind of influencing at the time was this, Christ is better. Three words, Christ is better. Jesus is better. He's better than any pursuit that we could chase after in life. Whatever we can't say no to, we can say no to it so much more readily when we remember that Christ is better, when we set the Lord before us, when we allow him to change our desires, when we open up his word, when we pray, when we seek his face, when we do that with others who are going to help us along in the journey. Listen, this happens. How, how does it happen? How does someone who is addicted become not addicted? It's through one thought at a time, one action at a time, one changed desire at a time. I have set the Lord always before me. If we want to be free from that uh, which we struggle with, we must set God before us. And the encouraging news is this, that relapse is not inevitable because God wants to set us free. He sent Christ not to be served, but, but to serve and to give his life as what? A ransom for many. Jesus comes to set us free, which brings us to our fourth plea, and that would be this. Settle for nothing less than joy and life. Settle for less than, than um, for nothing less than joy and life. Look, look back at verses 9 through 11. This is how he ends the psalm. He says this, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we struggle, we experience sorrow and pain in that which reminds us of death. But what God wants to do is give us joy and life. Listen to this. Joy is not the icing on the cake of life. It's not even the icing on the cake of the Christian life, okay? God wants us to experience joy and, and gladness and delight in him every single day. Every moment of every single day, this is what God holds out to us in Christ. And on top of that, on top of joy, he, he gave us life for life. So he wants us to experience life in this life, right? David says, my flesh dwells secure, all right? He doesn't just want us to exist. He doesn't want us to go through the motions, all right? He certainly doesn't want us to go into things that won't give us life. He wants to give us life in this life, but he also wants to give us life in the next life. 
So verse 10, when David says, I am confident that you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. He is, he is giving a statement of confidence that God has made him for more than just this life. That when he dies, he will continue to enjoy a relationship with God that spans into eternity. And what happens in the New Testament is this, okay? After Jesus arrives and he lives a perfect life and he dies on the cross and he rises from the dead, Peter and Paul in Acts 2 and Acts 13 would say, this verse, David was pointing us to Christ who did not remain in the grave but on the third day rose again triumphant over the grave. And so this is the hope that we have in the gospel. If our God can overcome death, what struggle, what addiction can he not empower us to overcome in this life? There is not one. And so as we look to him, as we find the life that he offers us in Christ, this is what we were made for. He wants us to experience the victory over everything that would hold us back from the life that he intends. And so, so let me just leave you with this thought before we uh, sing a song of response. Listen to this. Rather than being addicted to any kind of substance, any kind of experience other than God, why don't we pursue God in such a way, setting him always before us, that, that people would look at our lives and they would basically say, man, that person is, is, seems addicted to God, Right? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I want people to look at my life and say, you know what, man, his life is dependent on God. He needs more of God. His life is centered around God. This is the life that Christ holds out to us. And so listen, Seth and the team are gonna come up and play, and I'm gonna pray and, and lead us in prayer. But, but if, if, you, if you are struggling this morning, just know that our God is the God who makes the ruins come to life. These are the words of the song we're about to, to sing in a moment. He makes ruins come to, come to life. He gives beauty for ashes. And so no matter what you're going through today, no matter what your experience may be, just know that God wants to set you free. Jesus came to give us life, and, and it is life for us to be received, even now, even today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that gives us life. God, thank you for the truth that sets us free. God, I pray for every person in the room. God, particularly those that would, that would really just identify the struggles in their life and, and say, I want to be set free from these these temptations and struggles and addictions. God, would you, would you do that as they apply this kind of battle plan that we've seen in your word today, God? Make us a community that is a safe place for those who are struggling, a community that would, that would help people along in the journey so that we all can live before you. We would set you before us, God, that we would experience your life and your joy and know that Pleasures forevermore are what we can anticipate because of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.